chapter 5, verse 2. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The reading of God's word. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. I do not know what is going on in all of your lives. I don't know if you are right now in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of suffering. I don't know if you have come out of it and you're in a time of peace and blessing. But I will tell you that the song that we just sang it is well with my soul was written by a man in the middle of the Atlantic whose boat arrived to the very spot where his wife and two daughters drowned. See, their boat had been accidentally rammed by another boat and they had died. His whole family gone. And yet he could sing, it is well with my soul. That is only, only something that your soul can sing when you are walking with your God and trusting in his goodness. So wherever you are in your life, I want to tell you right now, if you are walking with him, your soul will be well. If you are not walking with him, if church is just a token of religiosity, you're not going to survive spiritually when calamity comes. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage you, this whole message is going to be encouraging you to be walking closely with your Lord and Savior. And so let's go ahead and open up to, uh, if you close your Bibles, open back up to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you as you open that from one of my very favorite Christmas stories. It's how the Grinch stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. And here's how it goes. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. So we've got in this book the town of Whoville filled with people called Who's who loved Christmas, but a terrible creature in the north did not. He hated Christmas, and he set about to ruin Christmas for everybody. Now, like the Grinch, I'm going to ask you, is your heart two sizes too small? 
Now you might think, well, that's just a whimsical question by a pastor, but I really do want to ask you to consider this. Or let me bring the question under the Bible's lens. Do you love Jesus with all your heart? Or are you growing in your love for Jesus? Now you have, you, you're the only one that can answer this. You're, all, you're the only one in your own skin, so I'm not in your skin. I'm in my skin, so I can answer that question for me. And I'm inviting you, everybody, to seriously answer that question for yourself. Are you growing in your love for Jesus, or is your heart two sizes too small? Now, you might be thinking, growing in my heart and my love for Jesus um, or I guess I could ask, do you love like Jesus? And you might be thinking, of course not. That's impossible. No one can love like Jesus. Yet, clearly, Jesus commands us, love one another just as I have loved you. So do you love one another the way that Jesus loves us? And you still might be thinking, of course not, not. that's impossible, but I want to tell you, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, for whom the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, dwells in your hearts, he will give you the want to to do what you ought to. In fact, God has never, ever given his children a command that is unrealistic. He's never given Christians a command that he will not empower you to live. So if he's telling us by way of command, this is not an option, love one another just as I have loved you, then it's possible through Jesus as you walk with him. Well, we're in a passage that's going to actually give us several commands or mandates. They're actually called mandates. And then they're going to give us, the Apostle Paul is going to give us the means to live them out. So he's going to give us three mandates, and then he's going to give us the means or the power or the way for us to live out these mandates. So I'm going to ask you to really, really, really listen closely. You know what's gotten, you know, you know what's so good about this uh, congregation? Eight months ago, you know what a lot of you were doing? I would be preaching and you would be on your phone and you'd be checking the internet and going all over the place because I we would watch you and I can see you doing that you know I almost never see anybody do that while I'm preaching can I encourage you don't do that while we're worshiping do you know that you're worshiping the most holy God do you know that by the spirit you have climbed the hill with clean hands and clean hearts and you are calling out your worship and your songs, your heart to the one who has loved you and saved you. Can I encourage you the moment, even as you are coming to church, start preparing your heart to worship. Start remembering who it is that you are about to sing to and who it is that's about to speak to you through his word. Because guess what? He is speaking to you right now. Can you hear it? You're about to hear it. But you got to hear it by faith. Don't try hearing it with your audible ears. you got to hear it down deep in your heart. And sometimes it's going to be a very still and very quiet 
voice, but it's going to come through his word. So let's listen to what he wants to speak to each of us. Here's the mandates, okay? Number one, the mandates. Then we'll look at the means or the power to live them out. Number one, the commands. We are to become kind to each other. Now I want you to think about that. Rate yourself on kindness and try to resist what I think probably is happening in your mind because if I'm asking you personally, if I come up to you personally after the service, or you come up to me personally after the service, and we ask each other, are you kind with people? Your answer is likely going to be, well, it, de it depends on who you're talking about. But that's not the way this command works. Are you kind to people, particularly other people in the church? Are you kind to God's family? See, Paul's writing to the church, and he gives three commands. Here's the first one, Ephesians 4. Let's all be in the Bible. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All three commands are right there. Here's the first one. Be kind to one another. Now, look at me for a second, because you might be a little surprised at what I'm going to tell you. I want you to look at that little, little word, be. This is kind of cool. It means to become. It means to be being somebody that maybe you're not quite fully yet. It's a process word. It doesn't mean that you've already arrived at kind-heartedness and you have no other room to grow in kind-heartedness. No. It means that you are steadily being or becoming kind with each other. And let's be really honest, some of us have been hurt terribly by Christians. Some of us have been hurt by the very people who ought to be displaying kindness the most, people in the church. And they have really hurt us. Some of you have come here from other churches because you were hurt at your previous church. You want to know something? Some of you in a couple years will no longer be at this church because you feel like you've been hurt here. And you will go on to someplace else hoping that you're not hurt there. And guess what? You're inevitably going to be hurt there. And let's be really even a little bit more honest. I mean, the first one, that was a little hard maybe if you've been hurt by other churches or other Christians and you're here now. But this one's even harder to answer honestly. I want you to really think on this one. Have you hurt other people? Have you hurt other people? I really don't believe any of us are going to be able to say no to that one. Not if we're honest. You see, we tend to disappoint people. We tend to hurt people. I have. We tend to offend people. We get offended. We're easily offended. So our hearts need to have kindness in them. But what does kindness mean? Well, here it is. This is a beautiful definition. The word kind means useful goodness or goodness put to good use. Now listen, don't gloss over that thinking this is a throwaway part of the message. This is actually an incredibly important part. To be kind means to be usably good to other people. It's goodness that is useful. It's the word in Luke chapter 5, verse 39, for good, aged wine. 
Can you believe that? It's the same word. It's wine that has aged well, and it's smooth, it's lost, it's, it's uh, bitterness. It's mellowed as it has aged. That's what kindness means. It's a quality of character that the Spirit of God produces in God's people, which is what separates it from kind people that are not believers. I mean, there are unbelievers that are kind. And there are Christians who are kind. And what separates the two is that the kindness of a Christian that we are becoming more and more of is the same kindness that is in God's heart. And here's a glimpse of it, Romans 2. Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now think about this for a moment. I, I'm probably guessing, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably accurately guessing that there are some of you right now or watching online that are not really yet believers. You're seeking, you're at least curious, you wouldn't be here, and I really applaud you if that's you. You're not a believer, but you're here. I think that's amazing. I am incredibly proud that you would do that because not everybody would do that. But what's happening right now in your life, if you are not a believer, is that God's kindness is being displayed to you. He's being patient toward you, giving you an opportunity to deal with the speculations, to deal with the doubt, to deal with that which has been an obstacle for you to believe in Jesus. He's been patient with you. He loves you. He's going to be patient with you until you finally have reached a point of faith where you can say, I believe, and I surrender. See, that's what God's kindness does. So I want you to imagine that kind of kindness in our hearts. I want you to imagine being in a church for a moment. Just that You're going to have to imagine this because we are not, and no church is quite here yet. But I want you to imagine you're in a church where people hear think the best of each other rather than suspecting the worst. I want you to imagine seeing someone come in the doors of this church who has morally failed. And instead of turning up your nose, you actually move toward that person with useful goodness, with patience, kindness. Imagine when someone comes up to you and their voice lowers and they lean in just a little and they begin to slander. They begin to tear down somebody else in this church and you put your hand gently on their arm and you ask them to stop. That's usable kindness. That's usable goodness. Imagine being in this church and somebody, and it will happen, it's invariably going to happen, somebody irritates you, somebody offends you, somebody hurts you, and instead of recoiling, which is what we do, instead of moving away and lodging a little marker in your mind, I'm not going to like that person, I'm going to avoid that person, all of a sudden, usable goodness floods your heart, the very kindness of God, and instead of moving away from that, 
that person. You actually move toward that person and you help them get their lives on track. Imagine seeing somebody in a pew, maybe on the other side of the sanctuary, whose life has been wrecked by sin, by their own choices. They are where they are because they made wrong choices. Will there be usable goodness? Will there be kindness in your heart and you move toward them and love them and help them find a way to pull their life together? You see, this is kindness. It's usable goodness. It's sourced by the Spirit of God and we are commanded to grow in it. Now, in order, by the way, for this message to actually change us, each of us are going to have to look inward for a few minutes. you got to look inward. Listen, if you don't do that regardless of who's preaching, you will leave the church the way you came in. That's no good for anybody. Don't you want to grow spiritually? Don't you want to know God more? Don't you want to be a more loving person? That means then you've got to take what the preacher says and you've got to examine it. Is it right with the word of God? Is it true? And is it applicable to me? And I would suggest that you need to invite God I do too, to search your heart, show you your heart. He's going to oblige you. He's going to do that. He's going to reveal what is there. So let me take you down into your heart for a moment. Do you see any of the Grinch in your heart who snuck into Whoville and stole their gifts? Here's how it keeps going, the story. 3,000 feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it, Poo-poo to the who's he was grinchishly humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two, and then the who's down in Whoville will all cry boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. Is there a little Grinch in you? Be honest. Are you becoming kind to one another? Well, that's just mandate number one. That's command number one. Let me get to the second one. Be tenderhearted, which is the soft heart of compassion. Have you ever thought about that word compassion? We've all used it. It's a word very regularly used in our country's uh, language. Did you know that passion, the root of it, means suffering? Maybe you just learned something. Passion means suffering. It doesn't mean what you might think it means, and that is, oh, I've got a passion for sushi. Or I've got a passion for racing. No, passion means suffering, and the prefix calm means simply with. So compassion is the internal desire and willingness to suffer with somebody. That's what it means to be compassionate. And this is what the word tenderhearted means. It means that you are filled with a willingness to suffer with people. See, tenderhearted Christians are those 
whom Jesus is changing through the Holy Spirit, who emotionally feel the suffering of others, and they're willing to suffer with them. They don't run away from them. Well, I'm not going to get mixed up with that. Well, then that means you're not really very tender-hearted. And if you're not tender-hearted, your heart's not being filled with kindness, usable goodness. They all work together. So imagine, which actually happened to me right before I came to church today. Imagine you're talking with someone who has been let go at their work. And the old you would immediately think, what did you do to get fired? You probably deserved it. That's what we do. But when Christ begins to change you, and he always does it from the inside out. Now your heart begins to hurt for them. Now you begin to feel deeply the fear, the fear of sudden unemployment. If you've ever lost your job, you know that fear. What am I going to do? How am I going to live? How am I going to keep this place where I stay? How am I going to provide for my family? All of a sudden, you're flooded with this fear. And when you, got, when you have tenderheartedness, the desire and the willingness to suffer with somebody that's unemployed, Employed, you move toward them, not away from them. You don't judge them. You love them. See, your heart is becoming kind, usably good. And you know what you might do? You might secretly send them a grocery store gift card. You might take that person and his family or her family out to eat you might write a card full of scripture with some cash. That's usable goodness. That's how the redeemed live. That's how Christians are in the church. It's how we ought to be. And this is the command of Paul. Be kind to one another. Be usably good. And be filled with a willingness to suffer with each other. But he's not done. Because he's got the third command. Because Christians who are becoming kind and increasingly tender-hearted will have the deep motivation to obey the third mandate. And the third one is this, forgiving one another. Do you see that in verse 32? By far, this is the hardest of the three. Um, I want you to think right now, whose face comes to your mind. Everybody look at me. Whose face comes to your mind who has hurt you so deeply? I've got a face in my mind. And you do too. Do you know what forgiving means? It means to give grace to the one, the very one who has hurt you or offended you. It is to have a heart that is willing to give that grace. It's that grace that moved the who's of Whoville to joyfully sing, even after they woke, to find all of their Christmas gifts stolen. Here's how the story goes. So he paused. 
And the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, the sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very he stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. Because of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness... It's the willingness, listen, it's the willingness to drop the charges. Do you not know that's as deep as I can take you? See, forgiveness was a financial term. And if somebody owes you $100 and you keep reminding them you owe me $100, when are you going to pay? And they keep saying to you, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay. And your, your heart, it's starting to get resentful and your heart's getting bitter and your heart's getting twisted towards that person and your heart's imagining wringing the money out of them and your eyes are looking at everything that person buys oh you could buy that but you can't give me a hundred and all of a sudden your heart is the one that's in prison toward the person who actually owes you money if you're going to forgive it means to drop the charge now listen there's a second part means to drop the charge and absorb the debt. Drop the charge and absorb the debt. You don't ask for it anymore and you don't even want it. You let that person go free. That doesn't mean you'll let them borrow more money if they come to you again. Oh no, not until they repent. But if you don't drop the charge by absorbing the debt, you will be the one in prison. You will be the one shackled. You will be the one twisted like the Grinch. See, forgiveness is powerful. To forgive is to give grace. It is to let go of what the offender owes. It is set the heart free to joyfully love. And that heart is your own. Now, whose face popped into your mind? The fact that that face might be popping into your mind and bringing with it all the emotions of anger and resentment shows you you did not yet drop the charge. You have not yet absorbed the debt. And we are commanded to do that. You see, when your heart is becoming kind through the work of the Spirit of God changing you from the inside out, you will be full of usable goodness. You will be stirred to compassion. You will have tender heartedness. And you will see how locked up the person who hurt you really is and then how locked up you are fast becoming. And then you will choose to do what John MacArthur says is the most God-like act possible. You will forgive, verse 32, as God and Christ forgave you. We are commanded to be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted, to forgive one another. But how? What's the means? We saw the mandates. 
What's the means? The question for us is, how can we become Christians who are becoming like this? How do we become like this? Let me return you one more time to the Grinch. Who hears the people of Whoville singing joyfully below, and here's what, he, here's what happens. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons, Christmas did. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't quilt didn't feel quite so tight he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast and he he himself the Grinch carved the roast beast now did you hear what the Grinch did because here's your clue here's the secret to how the Christian becomes kind and tender-hearted and forgiving here's the secret he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Here's how you puzzle until your puzzler is sore. Hebrews 12, consider Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Colossians 3, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, it's puzzling. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, can you puzzle on that? You know what that means? It means, can you think on that? Can you meditate on that? Can you dwell on that? Here's what you dwell on. You ready? I'm going to help you learn how to puzzle till your puzzler is sore. Ready? Let's do it together. I'm going to walk you through it. All humanity, including you and me, have rebelled against God. You know you have. I've never met anybody. Nobody has ever told me in 30 years of ministry, I've never sinned. Everybody knows that they've sinned. They feel it. They know something is not right. Well, that sin is ultimately against God. We have rebelled against our creator. The creature has risen against the creator. We have defied him who has only ever loved us. Now listen. I've got to tell you some bad news before I tell you the good. That cannot go unanswered. That cannot be unpunished. And listen, if you puzzle on this, you'll know why. If you did not get discipline and judgment for your sins, or if I didn't get it for my sins, that means there is no justice in this universe. If somebody abuses you and they never get justice... You would not want that because justice is good. Justice is right. And there is justice for those of us who have sinned, which is all of us. Here's his justice. His wrath 
God's wrath will fall on every rebel. You cannot avoid it unless, listen, unless his wrath falls on someone else. And for God's wrath to not fall on you and me and fall on someone else, that person must be sinless. That person must have never defied God. That person must have never been a rebel. And the only person ever that has not defied God, the only one ever that's not been a rebel, Paul tells us is Jesus, the very Son of God. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Who has loved us and gave himself up for us. He is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And the moment that you trust, listen, I think there might be some here who haven't. The moment that you trust, the moment that you believe in that, and you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, it is in that moment that you will no longer be the object of God's holy, right, and just wrath. You will be the recipient of his mercy. You will be the receiver of his love, and now you will be his child, and he will be his, your father. You did not deserve this. I did not deserve this. We did nothing to earn this. God did it all by sending his son to die in our place. So can you imagine as we close that you were there, you were there the day that that leper who had that contagious infectious, flesh-absorbing disease called leprosy. You were there the day that the leper fell at the feet of Jesus. And you recoiled in anger and outrage just like his disciples did. And you gasped in indignation and anger and wrath and fury because a leper was the most loathsome human walking the land of Israel, despised, feared, a walking contagion of death whom the rabbis would throw rocks at to drive away. You were there when the leper falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus, listening to the leper Gasping because his vocal cords were being eaten away. Rasping. You can heal me. You can make me clean. Can you hear the words of Jesus? I will be clean. Can't you see his compassion? Can't you feel the kindness of Jesus, his usable goodness that was overflowing his heart? Can't you see that he cares more than about his skin disease? He cares about the soul of this leper who has been despised, who feels that even God hates him. And yet here is God in flesh that touches him. And calls him to life. Can you imagine being in the crowd when a woman who was menstruating for 12 years 
It was a disease. Something was wrong in her body. She was anemic. She was weak. She had been to doctor after doctor, the Bible says. Luke, the doctor, wrote it. She'd been to all kinds of doctors and spent all that she had. And instead of getting better, she was getting worse. Such a woman under Judaism, the religion of the Jews, was forbidden to touch anybody, was forbidden to be around people. She was considered unclean, and you cannot spread spiritual filth to anybody. So stay home, stay by yourself. If she was married, her husband left her. If she had children, they were living with her sister. That's what her life was like. Can't you imagine this woman? as she's down on her hands and knees, crawling through the crowd that was thronging about Jesus and crawling up and touching the very tassels, the dangling parts of his robe. She touches just the tassels and she feels in her body that she's been healed and freed from her suffering. The power of God was that awesome. But Jesus did not let her go. Oh, she wanted to just slink away. She wanted this to be a personal, private miracle. But Jesus would not let her have a healed body and a damaged heart. She needed to know the love of Jesus. She needed to know the kindness, not just the power, the tenderheartedness of Jesus. She needed to hear God in flesh forgive her. So he looks around and he looks around over and over saying, who touched me? I felt power go out of me. And finally, his eyes settled on hers. And she stood up and confessed everything. And he walks up to her and says, daughter, only twice in the Bible did Jesus say that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be freed now of your true suffering. Because now you know your heavenly father loves you. See, that's the kindness of Jesus. That's the tender heartedness of Jesus. That's the forgiving love of Jesus. That's what you puzzle on until your puzzler is sore. And the more that you puzzle on that, the more that you think on that, the more that you're going to be changed from the inside out. So imagine one more time being at the base of the cross. Here's Jesus being crucified, who has done nothing wrong, but he's nailed through both wrists. He's nailed through his feet. And even though he's nailed, and even though he's suffering, people are thumbing their noses and waggling their fingers. It's literally what they were doing, mocking him in his pain as he could barely breathe. He looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you not hear the lips of Jesus uttering that kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiving love? That's how you puzzle. And when you begin to puzzle until your puzzler is sore, here's what's going to happen to your life. It's 2 Corinthians 3. You will be transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, meaning that tomorrow you will not be the person you were yesterday. Because you've been beholding Jesus. You've been thinking on Jesus. 
You've been dwelling on the Most High in the form of Jesus. You've been meditating on the Son of God. You've been looking at how the Word of God reveals the Son of God. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to change you deeply from the inside out. And where you did not trust God well, all of a sudden, you'll give Him your life. And where you would not surrender, now He has everything. And where you would not serve him now all you can imagine is god use me that's the degree of change from one to another because you puzzled until your puzzler grew sore and if you will do that like the grinch your heart will not feel quite so tight and your heart will grow three sizes that day and you will learn to love one another in the family of god just like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for your love and your kindness, your tenderheartedness, your willing to forgive us, Lord, it is so powerful. To think on that until our puzzler grows sore is what it means to behold the glory of Jesus. And we will be transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another, our hearts will have more kindness. Our hearts will have more compassion. Our hearts will forgive more easily. They will drop the charges. They're willing to absorb the debt. We will be like the Son of God. We will love like Him. That's what you want in the church. That's what you want in your children. And that is not what the world can be. We alone can. Father, change us. Help us to study you and your word. Help us to puzzle. Help us to meditate. Help us to behold Jesus and do a work of change in us. In his name we pray. Amen.